Folks, I got to say that it's good to see you, and I'm uh, kind of sad that we've come to the end of this series, Family Wisdom, a study in Proverbs, uh, because there's just so much, so much to share with you. So we're going to have to stop it for now. Today is our last day, and then maybe we'll pick up again next year because there's so much more to share. But uh, if you can't wait until then and you need wisdom for your family, then I would suggest to you that uh, perhaps you should actually read the Proverbs yourself. Yeah, it works. And some of you know, I've said this many, many times, that there's 31 chapters in Proverbs. There's a, there's a chapter for every day of, of the week and for every day of the month. So do, uh, do take time to check that out, and I think that you'll be encouraged by that. So uh, uh, we've, uh, we've been talking a lot about family, and when we think of family... Uh, I think for many of us, we have this very sort of idealistic, romantic idea of what a family looks like, maybe kind of like this, with the baby's head cut off. <laughs> there, no, not, not really, but, but there it is. It's a, it's, a, it's a happy picture. Everybody's happy. The ch- everybody's smiling. Mom and dad are one heart, one mind. There's the baby carriage. Uh, and you just look at that picture and think, yeah, that's what a family should be. And yet for so many of us, we did not grow up in a family like that. For many of us, if uh, we were honest, in our house, there was a lot of, not in my house, literally, but for some of us, a lot of yelling and screaming, and uh, mom and dad didn't maybe get along, brothers and sisters get, didn't get along. And uh, you, you look at a family like this and you think to yourself, man, I wish I had a happy family like that where, can we change that slide? Uh, I wish I had a happy family like this where we are all coordinated in our dress. And uh, I can tell you right now that if I made Nicholas and Sarah dress the same, they would not like that. Actually, Nicholas is so easygoing, he wouldn't care. But anyway, uh, there, there it is, uh, the happy family. Everybody's smiling, everybody's cheerful. Uh, it just doesn't get better than that, right? But for so many of us, uh, that's the reality. Uh, there's a lot of fighting going on, and we don't want anybody to know about it. We like to keep up appearances. We like everybody to think that at our house, everything is perfect. Nobody ever fights. Nobody ever yells. Nobody ever screams. And by the way, uh, I'm the pastor of the church, and actually some of this does go on at our house once in a while. Never Gloria and me, just the kids. <laughs> and Sarah and Nicholas would tell you otherwise. Hey, we're, we're a normal family. The Duncalfs are, normal, are a normal family. But the, here's the thing. We've worked hard to get along with one another. We've, we, we recognize the importance of our family. And, uh, and we're going to talk more about that this morning. And what we need to do to have the kind of family that God wants. But some of you are like, yeah, this is more like our family. And uh, for many of us, we sit here thinking, you know, I can, I can kind of cope with my family, <laughs> my, my in-laws, I, I, can't, I can hardly stand them. Uh, so here's, here's a mother saying to her daddy, or to her child, that's daddy's crazy family. We have no relation to them whatsoever. <laughs> so maybe, maybe you kind of feel that way this morning. You don't like, even want to have anything to do with your family. But here's what you need to know. The family is God's idea. Everybody get that this morning? Say it with me. The family is God's idea. God's the one that created the family. And so for many of us, what we want to do is we want to run away from the family. We want to divorce ourselves from the family. We want to get rid of them. We want to cast them aside. Uh, We'd rather have nothing to do with them at all. But I'm going to tell you right now, this is not biblical. This is not a biblical approach to our family. 
the family is, a, is something that God has created. And, and interestingly, uh, anthropologists, sociologists will tell you that the family is, in fact, the building blocks. Families are the building blocks of our culture and our society. So goes the family, so goes the culture. And so it's, inc- it's incredibly important for us to understand that a strong family unit, strong family units, means a strong and healthy culture, a strong and healthy society. And, and I'm going to tell you right now that, that, that the family unit, as created and as designed by God, was intended to make our culture, make our world a, a happy, joyful place. Now, we know that sin has entered in, and if we look at the very first family, we discover that, man, they are not the ideal. By Genesis chapter 4, the, two, the, her, the only two boys, one of them has killed the other, the other brother. I mean, it's bad. So what do we do to make sure that our family stays strong and is healthy? What do we do to make sure that our families are what God intended them to be. And by the way, when we talk about a family, a family begins when a man and a woman come together. You don't need to have kids in the picture. Just a man and a woman coming together, there's a family. Or maybe your, maybe, maybe your family is just two, two roommates. You're together, and, and you've created a functioning uh, little, little culture there where you're happy, and you're getting along, and you are, uh, are happy with one another. We need to move beyond this, beyond this, this feeling that you know, the in-laws are crazy, and, and maybe my family's crazy, my mom's crazy, my dad's crazy, my brothers and sisters can't stand them. We need to understand that God has called us to love one another, to work on our family, to strengthen it. You heard me say, uh, or you heard in the little clip what Ashley Montague said about, about the family unit. He's a He's a, an anthropologist, and as an anthropologist, of course, he studies you know, family relationships and human, just human interaction, human beings in general. And he says that the family unit is the institution for the systematic production of mental illness. Very, very cynical view. Now, I think he's just joking. I don't think he really means that. But, but this, is, this is so often... What we see in families is that there is so much dysfunction, so much unhappiness, such a lack of joy, uh, and it's basically, folks, you're, you're going to see in just a moment, it's basically because, basically because uh, families are made up of self-centered people. How many know that? And you could say, well, everybody in my family is selfish except me. Well, you'd be very deluded if you think you're the only one that is not got a tendency towards self-centeredness. The fact is, is that that is the great struggle in all of our relationships. And we get, sometimes get exasperated with our family, with our, with our parents and our kids and, and our husband and our wife. But the fact of the matter is, is that you too, you too have a tendency towards self-centeredness, towards selfishness. It's really easy to start pointing fingers at people in the family. What we fail to do is we stop, we fail to, to look at ourselves, to see where we're falling short, where we are, are not the people that God wants us to be. So, thankfully, we have the Proverbs to teach us otherwise. And uh, I'm going to tell you this your family ought to be a sanctuary, it should be a safe place. 
a place where your kids want to be, the place where, where a woman wants to be at home with her kids or where the husband wants to come home at the end of the day to be with his family because it's a sanctuary, it's a safe place, it's a happy place. That does not happen by chance, people. That happens through hard work, through great effort. And I'm going to tell you, the greatest effort in all of this is putting to death your selfish tendencies, your selfish desires, keeping your mouth shut instead of yapping and, and, and just firing off whatever comes to mind. Some of us know exactly what I'm talking about when I say that. You, you get mad and, or you think something sarcastic, and man, just out it comes. And it's like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Well, it's too late now, and you've been doing that every day ever since you got married. Don't you think now it's time to change? Hello. And so Proverbs, here's what Proverbs tells us. The wicked die and disappear, but the family of the godly stands firm. I want you to to see this, to look at this very closely. The family of the godly stands firm. At the head of every family are are parents. There's There's a... Take, I'm going to give you a little bit of education here. It, uh, in order to have children, it takes a man and a woman. Everybody gets that? I don't need to tell you anymore, do I? To, you got that? You, you know how that all works. Good. So it takes a man and a woman to produce a family. At the head of the family needs to be godly parents. Parents who are leading the family, leading the children in the way of godliness. Now, I'm going to tell you more about what that means in just a moment, but understand this. The family of the godly stands firm. You're not shaken. When the rains come, when the winds come, when the torrents and the storms, and everybody knows that the storms come, amen? Lots of storms. Gloria and I have been married. We'll be 30 years next year. Man, we've seen a lot of storms come and go, and on a regular basis. What's going to keep your family standing firm? What's going to keep it secure? Well, that's what we need to talk about. What does it mean to be godly? And how can my family stand firm and withstand all the, all the tornadoes and hurricanes and, and lightning and thunder and, and floods? How can I survive? How can we survive as a family? Well, I'm glad you asked me that question. Because I want to share with you, first of all, the life of Noah. And some of you know all about Noah. You know that by the time we get to Genesis chapter 6, the world has become very evil. Genesis chapter 3, we see Adam and Eve sinning against God, disobeying God. Sin enters in. By chapter 4, their sons kill each other. By chapter 6, God said, this whole world is nuts. It's crazy. It's evil. It's wicked beyond belief. God says, I'm sorry I ever made this, this planet. I'm, I'm so sorry I ever created humanity. What a disaster. Look at that, by chapter 6. He's created it. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, it's God created it, and it was fantastic. He declared it very good. By chapter 6, he wants to destroy it all. What on earth happened? I'll tell you what happened. Is that the people of this world... We're no longer godly. The people of this world have rejected God. The people of this world had entered into into all manner of wickedness. Now, because there's children here, I can't even tell you the sorts of things that were going on at the time that Noah 
was living on the earth. It was so wicked and so evil beyond anything that any of us could even imagine. And God said, I've got to bring an end to this. I have to wash the planet clean. The planet is filthy. And it's these human beings that have made it that way. And so God declares they've got to be, they've got to be wiped out. The people don't love God, they reject him, they lie, they cheat, they steal, they exchange partners, there's adultery, fornication, uh, they worshiped idols, they loved money. It was an absolute disaster. And so here's what we discover. We get to Genesis chapter 6, and it says this, and I want you to notice this. This is the account of Noah. How many ever saw that before? Many of us, when we think of the story of Noah and the ark, we, we, we don't typically remember that when God speaks about Noah, he speaks about Noah and his family. Maybe you're one of the few that, that noticed that. But as I was reading over this again, um, this really stuck out to me. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time. Could you imagine that? The only person on the planet that was righteous, that loved God. And he walked in close fellowship with God. Now right there, my friends, is the first hint that's going to tell you what you need to do in order to maintain a firm family, a family that stands firm. That's what we just read in Proverbs. Noah and his family walked in close fellowship with God. They knew God. Noah talked to God on a regular basis. Noah was in the habit of fellowshipping with God. I want to just read this to you. Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 to 10. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had made them and put them on earth. It broke his heart. How many know that God's heart can be broken? Maybe you've never seen that before. This is why I always tell people when you're reading the Bible, take your ruler and underline it. I underlined it in my Bible. It broke God's heart. Why? Because he loves us. He loves his humanity, the humanity he created. Anybody that thinks that God is a mean monster that wants just to wipe people off the earth every time they made a mistake, you're so totally wrong. People have rejected God. They hate him. They want nothing to do with him so badly that God says he was sorry they'd ever made them. In verse 7, it says, And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I'm sorry I ever made them. But then verse 8, it says, "But, But Noah found favor with the Lord. By the way, can I just say this to parents, to men, husbands, fathers, And mothers and wives, do you understand your responsibility to your children and to your family? You have a massive responsibility to protect your kids, to protect your family, to lead them in the way of righteousness. 
Don't think for one minute that your kids aren't watching everything you say, watching every move you make. And don't think for a minute that they're not going to imitate you. This notion, this idea, do as I say, not as I do, how many know that that doesn't work? It absolutely never works. But Noah found favor with the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. And Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Wow. So God tells Noah, the flood's coming. The countdown has begun. And exactly 120 years from the pronouncement of the coming of the flood, Noah gets busy. And the Bible says in 2 Peter 2, 5 that Noah was actually a preacher of righteousness. He would have been preaching to the people about the coming of the flood. And of course, everybody laughed at him. They scoffed at him. They mocked him. You can't be serious. That's the craziest thing I ever heard. We've never had a flood before. I don't know what a flood is. I don't, I don't think floods happen. In my opinion, in my educated opinion, in my humble opinion, these things don't happen. Hey, I want to just point out something to you. You know what Jesus said would be the sign of the ends of the times? When the world becomes like as in the days of Noah. And you know, we talk about the end of time. How many have heard preachers talk about the coming of the Lord, the end of times? And, and what do people do? They, did this, they do the same thing today that they did in Noah's day. They mocked Noah. They laughed at him. They scorned him. That's ridiculous. I never heard of anything like this. You've been talking about this for years. And where's this flood? Where's the end of days? And we mock the preachers. We, we mock the guy standing on the street with his Bible, proclaiming the end is near. Noah was mocked. He was ridiculed. And I wondered, you know, his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, I wonder what, what they were thinking of their dad out there preaching. Oh, Dad, do you have to? Dad, look, at all the kids at school are laughing at us, and they're making fun of us because you just keep talking about this flood. Nobody even knows what a flood is. But we don't read that. These sons are following their father, who's a very godly and holy man, who loves God with all his heart. And somehow these three boys find wives, and when they're old enough, they begin helping their dad build this ark that will save not only the eight of them, but will also save two of every kind, male and female of every species on the earth. The Bible says that when everything was ready to go, look at this, when everything was ready, ship was built, the animals were on board, the Lord said to Noah, go into the boat with whom? With all your family. Did you get that? I know when I read that, something within me just, oh, it soars with joy and thanksgiving. Because I can tell you this, folks, at the end of the day, I don't care about my money, my possessions, my clothes, my car, my house. All I really care is about my family. 
If I lose my family, then I've lost everything. But if I have my family, my family loves Jesus, and my family's serving God, what else matters? Someone say amen. What else matters? Go into the boat with all your family. Is there any more beautiful words in the scripture than that? Go into the boat with all your family. No, you're not the only one that's going to be rescued here. It's you and your family. Wow. For among all the people of the earth, I can see that you alone are righteous. This is why we read in Proverbs 12, 7, The wicked die and disappear. But the family of the godly stands firm. Folks, listen, I'm going to just give you some gold-fashioned preaching here. The Bible's clear. The Bible's very clear that those who have not put their faith in Jesus Christ will be lost eternally. Did you get that? If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you confess Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, the Bible tells us clearly that we have the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. That, my friends, is our hope and our salvation. Are you on the ark or not? Are your kids on the ark? If they're not, then you need to get busy. You need to start spending every amount of your time and your energy and your strength. If you have not set your family up in such a way where you are leading them to Jesus and making sure that they put their faith in Christ, then you need to make some major changes in your life and do it immediately. Because I'm going to tell you that's all that matters is that we're safely on the boat. We're safely on the ark. We call that salvation. We call that being born again. I don't know about you, but I'm on the boat. I know my wife, Gloria, is on the boat, and Sarah's on the boat, and Je- Nicholas is on the boat. And I know that Jesse, who's in Alberta right now, is definitely on the boat. Is you, are you on the boat? Wow. Go into the boat with all your family. My kids are on the boat for a reason. It's not by accident. It's because, I'm going to tell you, that's been the main thing in our family. It's not our career. It's not money. It's not a job. It's not our investments. It's not our house. It's not our possessions, our vehicles, vacation. It's none of that. Those things are, are far down the list in terms of importance. The only thing that really matters is that our children serve God and love God with all their heart. Some of you right now, your kids are not where they need to be. Look, at this is not judgment or condemnation. What, what you need to know is that don't give up. Because some of you felt like giving up. You feel like, oh my goodness, this seems hopeless. I've heard some parents say, you know, I, when my kids got to 18, I told them they had to make their own decision about their future. I said, that's baloney. That is not biblical. You teach your children. You guide them. You instruct them. You encourage them. You pray for them. Pray for them every day. My grandparents were so faithful in praying for their children. And I love the fact that my grandpa and grandma, they kept working on my dad and my mom and did everything they could to encourage them. And my mom made sure that we kids got to, got to Sunday school and got to church and got to boys' 
club. And next thing you know, I, I asked Jesus into my heart. And, I just, that, and my sister asked Jesus into her heart. And the next thing you know, I mean, it's like a snowball rolling. And next thing you know, my dad, my mom, they're coming to church. And they're getting their lives on track with God. And wow, miracles are happening. Why? Because my grandparents were not giving up on their kids. They did not want to go to heaven alone. They wanted their kids going with them. Wow. Go into the boat with all your family. Go into the boat with all your family. With all your family. Not with most of your family. Noah had three sons. God didn't say, go on the boat with two of your sons. Don't worry about the third one. You know, he's he's got a lot of problems with that kid. He's kind of a hopeless kid, isn't he? Just thank God that God doesn't give up on us with all your family. If you have children today that aren't serving God, then make a, make a pact with your wife to start praying and fasting until that child comes in full and complete surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you give up. Don't give up on your family. Keep praying. Keep believing. The wicked die and disappear, but the family of the godly stands firm. Hey, does that remind you of anything? Does it remind you of Jesus, something Jesus said? Let me just, uh, hey, Chris, can you come to the piano? This is a family Sunday. We don't normally do this. We're going to do something a little different. But I want to, you'll see why Chris is coming in just a moment. I want to read this to you. This is the end. This is the end of Jesus' sermon, the sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. How many have heard of the Sermon on the Mount? You've heard of the Sermon on the Mount? Some say that the Sermon on the Mount is the constitution of the kingdom of God. I like that. That's really good. And it begins with the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And we come to Matthew chapter 7. And Jesus has taught them. He's gone through the, basically gone through the Ten Commandments. He's taught them what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And here's what, here's what Jesus says here at the end of his sermon. By the way, in case you don't know, a constitution is the thing, is the document that governs us and how we live our lives. Does that make sense? And so here's what Jesus says. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Did you get that? I want you to see that. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it. How many know that it's easy to go to church and listen? and listen, and listen, and go to Sunday school, and listen, and listen, and listen. But Jesus says you got to do more than just listen. You actually have to do it. Did you get that? You can't just listen. You actually have to do it. And so he goes on to say, Though the rain comes down in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. Hey, when they put piles into the ground for my house to sit on, they went down to what? Bedrock. Because once it's on the bedrock, I mean, we have a train that goes behind our house and it shakes our house, but I don't care. I'm not worried about it. They get trains all day long. I don't care because my house is on the 
bedrock. Woo! Though the rains come in the torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house and trains go by, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand, and when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of the religious law. Folks, you want your family to stand firm? You need to start teaching them and making sure that they're following the great teacher, Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and our Lord. For many of us, we know Jesus as our Savior. We said a prayer at some point, and we said, yes, Jesus, come into my life. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. But what we fail to understand is that Jesus Christ is also our Lord, our King. And we surrender and we submit to him and we do whatever he says. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we're going to sing a little song right now based on this song. And the only person I warned about it was Chris. Now, how many remember the song, The Wise Man Built His House Upon the Rock? How many know that song? Anybody want to come up here and help me sing it? Come on. John, do you know it? Who knows this song? You want to come and help me sing it? Let's give her a hand. Woohoo! <laughs> Who else wants to help me sing it? Somebody else come help me sing it. Who does? <laughs> come on, Marilyn. Oh, there, there we go. The Sunday school teachers. Let's give them a big hand. Whoa. Okay, now just in case, I do have the... Hey, you have to come in the light. I can't be in the light alone. So I don't know if you need... Okay, good. We're okay with that? No, we don't have any guys? Come on, Dennis Barrett. You know this song. You learned that as a child. Give him a hand. How about Dennis Barrett's son? You know this song, don't you? You don't know? Good answer. Good answer. Come on, Dennis, get in here a little bit there. Yeah, that's it. Anybody else want to join him? Okay, we're going we're gonna to get everybody to stand up and sing it. Now, there are actions, right? So uh, Ali probably knows them the best. So we're going we're gonna to try and sing that together. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The rains came down, the floods came up. And then the, the foolish man built his house upon the sand. What does the sand look like? That's it. Okay, here we go. Ready? The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Rains came tumbling down. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. And the birds on the rock stood firm. 
The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. Rains came tumbling down. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. House went splat. <laughs> so build your house on the Lord Jesus Christ. So build your house on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's right. So build your house on the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> and the blessings will come back. Oh, that's good. Oh, the blessings come down and the... The blessings come down and the praise goes up. The blessings come down and the prayers go up. Jesus Christ. Give yourself a hand. Hey, now listen... I don't think any of you now is going to forget this message, are you? You're not going to forget anything I said this morning. Listen, if you want your life to stand firm, folks, it's got to be on the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you under, understand that your life, your family is firm. It stands firm, stands solid. Amongst the craziness of this world, when you live your life in step with the Lord Jesus Christ, This is why we taught our kids the seven habits. We didn't call them the seven habits when they were growing up. But we taught them what it meant to live according to the teachings of Christ and to do what Jesus did. Those seven habits that we talk about, and you can get yourself a bookmark, and I think there's even a poster up in the the atrium. Just the habits of believers, how we live as Christians so that we live lives that are pleasing to God. Amen? Amen? Amen. So, Father, we're lifting up to you our families and we're asking, God, that you give us the grace and the wisdom and the strength to continue on faithfully serving our God, being wise, Lord, making wise decisions that reflect Jesus Christ, our Savior. For some of us, we have, we have gotten our eyes fixed on the wrong thing and we've forgotten about Jesus And we've been more concerned about our career, about our job, about our house, about our life savings, about our vacations. We just got our eyes on all the wrong things. God, we know that at the end of the day, if we lose our marriage, if we lose our kids, we've lost it all. So, Father, we thank you today for your grace. We thank you for your strength. We thank you for your power, your wisdom. And it's all ours. That's, That's our inheritance. So help us, God, we pray, to use the inheritance wisely and to build our, our lives on the teachings of Jesus Christ. So when those rains come and the floods come, Lord, we'll stand firm. Thank you, God, for your word. And thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you want to do in our lives. You want to preserve our families. You want to save our families. So, God, we uh, commit our families to you now in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Amen. God bless